Hi, and welcome to the Palliators Podcast. I'm your host, fellowship-trained hospice and palliative medicine physician, Dr. Tara Kateen. This podcast is for healthcare professionals who want to become more comfortable and more confident in caring for their chronically ill and terminally ill patients. With the help of the physicians who trained with me, we hope to provide education and to promote palliative care one podcast at a time. We're so glad to have you here. Hey, everybody. I'm working towards getting back on the right schedule for monthly podcasts, and I appreciate your patience with me. I've had an exciting time at work, and I've had great residents working with me. And we've come up with a few things that would be worthwhile talking about on this podcast. We've talked about so many things that it might actually require another podcast or two to cover it all. Well, maybe not. Let's see what we get through today. So the main idea for today's topic is the language that we use in speaking with our patients and their loved ones, as opposed to speaking with peers and colleagues. There are some words in medicine that we get so used to saying, and I know we have every right to say them. After all, we've gone to school for what seems like forever, so why shouldn't we use the language we paid so dearly for in time, sweat, and possibly tears, and of course money? The problem is that our patients or their loved ones don't truly understand what we're saying and may even be insulted by what we're saying. Let's start by talking about some typical medical jargon. For example, using the word lesion. I've even had some patients say this word back to me and they don't really know what they're talking about. I know the word practically rolls off your tongue, but does your patient truly understand what you're saying? The same thing goes for the words mass or tumor. Not all masses or tumors are malignant. But what do you think the patient and family members think when they hear those words? They may automatically think of cancer. Well, I suppose that may be what you want them to think about. But it's not always what you need to convey. So what would I say? You know, I might say spots. I might say areas. I might just be more descriptive and yet still try to stay away from the vocabulary I learned during my training. You know, some of the ways that we use to describe test results can be confusing to the general public. When we say the biopsy came back positive, we know that's a bad thing. But the word positive sounds like a good result to people who don't know any better. I mean, really, how can the word positive mean something bad? They may not understand that when something is negative, it's really what we're hoping for. I mean, how crazy is that? And if you use the word response, do your patients hear cure? It's important to be understood when you're giving information to patients and families. I know it may seem like we've done our due diligence and told them the truth. We tell them everything we know. But if they don't understand what we tell them, we've really gotten nowhere. I think that using medical jargon to tell people serious information or bad news is easier for us. In a way, using medically technical words takes the emotion out of it for us. 
and yet the patients and their loved ones may leave the encounter still not really grasping what's going on. They may think they have a full understanding of the situation and still be clueless through no fault of their own. Next, let's talk about code status discussions and CPR. I remember ages ago listening to the story of a resident talking to someone about CPR and asking, do you want me to beat on your chest, break your ribs, which might puncture a lung, and then have a tube shoved down your throat? After hearing that, the patient said, oh no, I don't want you to break my ribs and puncture my lungs or shove anything down my throat. The resident left that room and went to the chart and wrote a DNR order when really all the patient said was that he didn't want to be assaulted. Other things I hear healthcare people say to patients are along the lines of, do you want us to resuscitate you? Or do you want us to bring you back if you die? That makes it sound like you're always able to resuscitate someone or bring folks back from death. And then you're asking them to choose not to have it done. Instead, why don't you try asking patients or their surrogate what they know or understand about CPR? Then you can tell them what you know about CPR and explain it to them. And you can also explain their chances of surviving CPR. Then after you've given all the information, you can ask them what they think about it. You may want not to use the letters DNR or the phrase do not resuscitate in the conversation at all. If instead you started the conversation with asking them if they want to have CPR and they say yes, and then you ask them what they know about CPR, it seems as though you're trying to talk them out of something they've already decided. It may come across like you had an agenda and are trying to persuade them to go down a different path. So start the code status conversation by asking them what they know about CPR and then ask if you can talk more about it with them and give them the proper information so that they can make informed choices. If you've already had conversations about what's important to how they live, you can even make a recommendation about what they might think about choosing. Okay, let's go to conversations you may already be having with folks who are reaching the limits of their disease-modifying therapy or life-prolonging therapy. Phrases that I hear over and over again are things like, the patient failed treatment. This sounds like you're actually blaming the patient when the treatment didn't work, when really the treatment fails the patient. Other phrases would be along the lines of, do you want us to do everything? When you think about the phrase, do everything, how do you think you would respond? Who wouldn't want everything? And what's the opposite of everything? Nothing. So if you don't want everything, does that mean you get nothing? This is a shorthand phrase that I've heard expressed to patients and their surrogates. It's something that we use behind the scenes with our peers and it is something that we should not use with patients or their decision makers. Instead, we should break it down and ask them what they understand about the treatment, make sure they understand their treatment options, and make recommendations for them based on their goals. Another expression that I hear all the time is, 
withdraw or withdrawal of care for patients in the ICU. Actually, withdrawing care is not something that we ever do and should never do. We're stopping treatments that are not accomplishing their intended goals. I realize that's a lot of words, but the emotions that withdrawing care produces are different than saying something along the lines of, we're going to stop these treatments that aren't working, and we're going to begin treatments that will promote comfort. While it still may evoke sadness, it doesn't sound as though we're going to walk away and stop caring for this patient. I found that when you do discontinue interventions that are not producing the desired result, you're often providing more care. It's a different kind of care. Not only are you tending to the comfort needs of the patient, you're also tending to the needs of the family or loved ones. Managing the needs of the family is often time intensive. It usually requires more effort to take care of these patients than it does for those for whom you just walk into their room and dial up the pressors or change the vent settings. And while we're on the subject of changing care to comfort measures only, let's think about the words just and only. Comfort care is important care. And as we recently addressed, it can be labor and time intensive. Saying we're just going to provide comfort or only provide comfort care, minimizes that hard work that goes into it, and it makes it sound like the other options provide more care. We all want to be cared for, especially at the end of life. Families and patients will also ask about how much time they have left. This is a time to be vague. I remember a patient staring at the clock one time. When I asked him what he was doing, he said he was waiting for for two o'clock. He said that last week, my doctor told me that this time next week, you won't be alive. Then he said, that was one week ago today at two o'clock. So when someone asks, you want to give an educated response, but it needs to be a little vague. I say something that can leave room for what I call scenario B or plan B. Sometimes people do worse than you expect, and sometimes they do better than you expect. You tell them something like, I think they have hours, maybe days. Or you say, hours to days, days to weeks, weeks to months. I've seen some people who could barely maintain a blood pressure in the 80s when they've been on maximum levofed. We expected that after discontinuing the levofed that they're pressure would fall to levels inconsistent with living very long. Then for some reason, they do better than expected. Their blood pressure may come back up to normal. And I know this isn't the usual scenario, but I've seen it often enough that I always leave room for this possibility while talking with patients and families. Now this leads me to the word linger. Usually, I don't hear this word from healthcare people so much as I hear it from patients and families, yet I have heard it from colleagues. Linger is another word that has a negative connotation. I usually say, is doing better than anticipated. And I'll explain that somebody may do better than expected prior to the time that they're doing better than anticipated. For example, if we're going to discontinue the pressors or discontinue mechanical ventilation, 
I explain the expectation of how poorly they will do, and then I explain they may do better than we expect. All right. You know those secretions that a lot of people get when they're coming close to the end of their lives? It's often been called the death rattle. Some call it terminal secretions. While I prefer terminal secretions to the death rattle, my real preference is excessive oral secretions. Yes, I know it's wordy. I'm not trying to pretty up the situation. What I'm trying to do is to make a difficult situation a little more manageable for families. The same thinking goes behind the phrase terminal extubation. Some people call it a palliative extubation. My preference, compassionate extubation. Think also about your use of the conjunction, but. When someone uses the conjunction, but, it's as though everything that was in front of that word isn't as important as what comes after it. I suggest you try to use the word and instead. For example, if a patient has told you something they feel is important to them, like they get sick a lot, and have always gotten better, you could say, yeah, you have gotten sick a lot, but you're in a different place now. I would recommend that you use the word and between those two phrases. Say, you have gotten sick a lot, and you're in a different place now. When I talk to my residents about this, they sometimes say, well, it is more important for them to know they're in a different place now and they don't see the big deal. So I say something like, I know you studied really hard for that test, but you failed anyway. It feels like how hard they studied for the test wasn't relevant or acknowledged, even though it was significant to them. It's crucial to acknowledge what's important to your patients, and by using the word and, it validates what the patient or family finds to be valuable. When listening to your patient's stories or listening to the stories that their loved ones tell you, try not to tell them how their stories are just like yours. It's not a time to share your hardships. They're in the process of grieving their present situation, and you don't want to diminish their experience, and you don't want to seem as though you're trying to make it about you. Also, try not to say that you know exactly how they feel. You could never know exactly how someone else feels. You might be able to relate to how they feel. No matter how similar the circumstances, your experience is different than theirs. You can't know exactly how someone else feels. Instead of telling someone you know exactly how they feel, let them have their own experience while you actively listen and reflect back for them. So this leads me back to empathy. Empathy is important in all things related to medicine. It's probably important for all things that involve relationships, whether it's at work or at home. And when you're talking with your patients, remember that sometimes your patients who are scared may act angry. Your patients who are feeling vulnerable may act angry. Your patients who are frustrated may act angry. Anger is such a more powerful feeling 
than fear, vulnerability, and frustration. It's nicer to feel powerful than frightened, frustrated, and vulnerable. Try not to meet their fear with facts, their vulnerabilities with false reassurances, their frustrations by placing blame, nor what appears to be anger with more anger. Try to keep your frustrations behind closed doors and vent in a safe place. But to the patients and their families, lead with empathy. When they appear angry, try to remember what they're going through and offer compassion. It can be tough if you feel like the object of their anger. And remember, it's not you they're angry with. Try to acknowledge what they may be feeling. It'll go a long way towards helping them and you. And I think that brings us to the end of this segment of Things Not to Say. It's time for our reflection. It comes to us from Havelock Ellis, and it goes like this. All the art of living lies in a fine mingling of letting go and holding on. That's all I have for now. I hope you'll come back next time. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a good rating and a good review in your podcast app. If you have topics that you'd like us to address on future podcasts, please go to our website, thepalliators.com, and send us a message. You'll find our show notes there as well. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.